Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. What's going on, Hokie Nation? It's a football weekend once again in Blacksburg as week two of the college football season is upon us. Virginia Tech begins its stint of back-to-back Big Ten opponents by hosting Purdue on Saturday. Can the Hokies take advantage of coach and player transition in West Lafayette? We'll tell you everything that you need to know about the Boilermakers and more. Plus, how will the Hokies replace senior captain tight end Nick Gallo? Our own Andy Bitter has the insight. It's episode 309 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, and it starts right now. We record on Thursday, September 7th, 2023 from Tech Sidelines High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe to our channel and please share the podcast with a friend as well. On set today, we have lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman to my right. Across the way, senior staff writer Andy Bitter. In the fourth chair, managing editor David Cunningham. Producing behind the scenes, founder and general manager Will Stewart, as well as one of our new interns, Robert Bateman, shadowing as well. And I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Check out their new Checking with Perks account that comes with cell phone protection, roadside assistance, fuel savings, deals, and discounts, and so much more. Visit firstbank.com to learn about this great new account for students. All right, we're going to, of course, talk Purdue, but first I want to give Andy the opportunity to talk a little bit of media here. Andy, you know, we go to you first. For those who haven't heard, Nick Gallo underwent season-ending surgery. Right out of the gate on Tuesday, you asked Coach pry about the look of his tight end room without senior captain nick gallo the Hokies are now down to three second year guys at tight end what were your takeaways from what coach had to say on the matter yeah it wasn't necessarily surprised and i think we had heard that this was a fairly significant knee injury with gallo and uh, i didn't expect him in the opener and i certainly didn't expect him for a while and it turns out it's gonna be the entire season which is un- unfortunate for a guy that made the decision to come back for another year and he he still could come back in the future we'll see you were talking about sixth year if you want to stick around for you know go through all the rehab that's entailed with that and then come back to class and all that kind of stuff but uh they get very young very quick in that tight end room and uh you're looking at benji gaznell a guy starting that missed last year with an acl injury this was his first action in the game uh first start i think he played 59 snaps something like that looked all right but you know, those guys are young and there's not this, this, uh, you know, veteran group there that can pick him up. And, you know, we asked Tyler Bowen yesterday, you know, what, what do you lose when you lose that experience? It's like the tight ends just have to do so much and it's playing in line. It's playing split out wide It's hand on the ground. You're run blocking. You're going out for receptions. Sometimes maybe you're sort of an H back role. There's just so many different things they ask their tight ends to do that, you know, outside of quarterback, it's maybe the most complicated position on the offense to learn. And when you have guys that are very young in their careers, uh, that could be a little bit of a concern. So you got Benji Gaznell, you got Daquan Wright, a little bit more of a receiving tight end. Harrison St. Germain uh, brings a blocking component to that group as well. Uh, they're probably going to have to dress another guy beyond that, whether that's Zeke Wimbush, a true freshman, or Cole Pickett, a walk-on here. Uh, they're going to have to get another guy ready to go in that room. But it, it just kind of bumps everybody up. I also want to point out that Gosnell only played three games his senior year in high school because he tore his ACL then. And then he tore his ACL, other ACL again last year. So this is a guy who really hasn't played football in a, in a few years now, who's who's being thrust into a major role. And even Daquan Wright missed most of the spring with a little minor injury and missed much of this fall camp with, again, a little minor injury. So he's not in in game form right now i would say he just hasn't played enough football since last year because he's been out so much so it's the tight end position is going to be a work in progress well if, if you want to know if gusnell is back physically watch yep. the end of the game uh they took the kneel down and then gusnell was behind wells he did a backflip 
Uh, maybe appropriate since David Wilson's going to the, the Virginia Tech Sports Hall of Fame this week. Uh, he did a backflip like that. I, I don't know if Gaznell can do a backflip all the way down the field like David Wilson used to do, but uh, uh, still pretty impressive for a guy coming off a knee injury like that. Yeah, I saw the backflip after the knee, and I'm thinking I saw it too at the end. I was like, oh, wow, Bryce Duke, you know, because I thought they might have put him <laughs> in at the end. I was like, oh, that was cool. And I was like, nope, that was our tight end. I was like, that was that was quite the display of athleticism there. Well, Andy, coach said that the approach at the quarterback position remains exactly the same heading into week two with packages and tagged plays for Kyron Dromes. He claims to really want people to have to defend Kyron's skill set, and he said that they are still very committed to developing him each and every week. You know, even with all of that said, what can you expect? Did that surprise you at all? It didn't surprise me because, you know, they said that after the first week. You know, I thought talking to Bowen last night, He's like, we don't just want him to be a situational quarterback. We want him to, to have the full, you know, breadth of the playbook to go out there and, you know, threaten teams and you know, not, not be predictable. Like drones goes in the games, like, okay, here's an RPO or a run play or something like that. They can't do that because if you if you do, the defense is gonna be able to key in on that. And it's it's not really a surprise. So, you know, I'm not a fan of the two quarterback system at all. <laughs> just just <laughs> rotating guys in. It just it never seems to work that great. But if you're gonna do it, I'd say give him a drive, like give him the, the reins of the offense for an entire drive. And don't be like, all right, it's third and two, put him in there. It's like, well, what do you think's coming if it's third and two and he's going into the game? And if you're Grant Wells and, you know, you're kind of on a roll a little bit and all of a sudden you're coming out on the sideline, then they're like, go back in the game for fourth and two. It's like, okay, I've been standing on the sideline for three or four plays. Uh, to go back in a little bit cold like that, I, I feel like that's disruptive to the flow of the offense. But they're committed to doing this. I don't know if this is uh, just sort of the way that you have to do things now to keep everybody happy. Uh, you know, the transfer portal is there, and if a guy sees he doesn't have a role, maybe you just, okay, I'll up and leave again and go somewhere else. And, and maybe this is a way to say, no, you have a role, you're part of this whole thing. And that's a, a juggling act that coaches have to deal with now. But uh, unless I see some real positive things come out of it, I, I just, I'm going to continue to default to say rotating quarterbacks is a bad idea. I think sometimes in these media sessions, coaches are 100% honest, and sometimes they use media sessions to let the other coaching staff hear what they want them to hear. Like a week ago at this time, Nick Gallo was questionable for ODU. Right. right? He was in and out of practice. In and out of it's practice, like, I don't, I, sure, right. Where that's why when I was reporting, right, right. like, so Pry like, said he was in and out of practice. So, we didn't see that. So a week before that, when I was in Ireland, I heard that Nick Gallo was out for the season with a torn ACL. They knew it. They just, at first game, I don't know why coaches do stuff like the stuff they do, but, but like it was not some shock. I mean, it was something I already knew, and then they flat out, kind of uh, pulled a fast one in the media sessions last week and said he was a questionable just, I guess, to throw ODU off. I don't know. What possible advantage I, do you I, have? That's a great question. Oh, my and gosh. I have no the idea. backup tight end is in the game. Change the defensive game right. plan. This I is agree. completely but different. For whatever reason, a lot of coaches think that way. So whatever they're saying about drones this week it could be completely true, or you could go out there on Saturday and see Grant Wells for 98% of the snaps. We'll find out. Well, it was a hot topic of conversation at Brent Prize Presser on Tuesday. The 2021 Illinois versus 7th-ranked Penn State game in Happy Valley that saw nine overtimes and an unbelievable defensive battle. Now first-year head coach at Purdue, Ryan Walters, was the defensive coordinator at Illinois. He was facing Brent Pry that day. The two defensive coordinators had quite the battle. Andy, everybody just kind of had a good time laughing about that at the press. Well, you look at the line score, and it's hilarious. Because it's just, they get to overtime and you have the two overtimes and they both kick field goals. And then it goes to the two-point shootout, which we saw a little bit here with UNC Virginia Tech that one year. They've actually moved it up. So they get to that in the third overtime now, I think, than they used to be fifth overtime yeah. when they started doing that. But uh, they went five straight two-point conversions for both sides with no nobody scoring. So they, they don't score, and then they all have to walk to the other side of the field and then not score there. And they did that five times back and forth. And I can only imagine if you're a defensive coordinator, like you're probably not expected to stop the two-point conversion. It's maybe not like a, a penalty kick in soccer, but if you make a stop, like that's a big deal. And then you would hope your offense would be able to score. They just never did it over and over. I can only imagine what's going through those guys' minds. Like 
for God's sake, just get in the end zone on one of the, one of these plays. We're not asking you for much. It's to go two yards to advance the ball and score. Neither of them could do it. So uh, I have to imagine that was a pretty uh, uh, stressful day to be a defensive coordinator uh, and, and keep throwing up zeros like that and not be able to win it. But uh, it's interesting now that two years later, both these guys are head coaches in this game. Who, who was the Penn State offensive coordinator in that game? Was that Ronnie? Probably Ronnie. Twenty twenty one. No, that oh, was no. that was when he had or already left for ODU. Yeah, he had already okay. left. Okay. Yeah. Because he left before COVID and then was there for COVID, right. but they never played. Right. You're right. Okay. You're right. So. You're right. Is that Yurkovich? Was it maybe the, the, bring in the guy from Minnesota for he, a year and then he, they got rid of him too? Either way, I can't remember the if, order. If, I, if I'm either defensive coordinator in that game, I'm probably having some words for my offensive coordinator afterwards. That's bad. <laughs> that, that, that game, I, I didn't watch that game. Thank goodness uh, that I didn't waste four hours of my life doing it but it's kind of that game had to have been something like the virginia tech rutgers game was it like how bud felt felt about lefty after the 6-3 double overtime loss like we we pitched a shutout regulation (laughs) and and still lost i mean (laughs) come on man yeah it was uh your Yurkovic, how do you? I don't know how you pronounce his name. I thought it was Yurkovic. I, I, I'm not familiar with the the offensive Why coordinator. Phil Dracovic was the offensive yeah. coordinator. <laughs> anyway, we go to uh, we go on to. Coach seemed pleased with his running backs despite the lack of run production. He also noted that they were fantastic in pass coverage. Andy, you noted they made a lot of guys miss some broken tackles by Bashal Tutin in particular. Yeah, he had ten uh, missed tackles forced according to Pro Football Focus, which was the second most I think of anybody mm-hmm. who's played one game uh, so far this year. So, I mean, Tutin came as advertised. He just didn't have a lot of holes to run through. I mean, that, and that's the issue. And uh, you know, that was my number one issue with this uh, offense coming into the season was I just didn't know if the offensive line could clear the holes for the running backs. And I thought they improved the running back room drastically. I think you get Malachi Thomas back; he can do some things. Tootin, I, I think, is the real deal there. But they can't do it by themselves. And whether that's being more imaginative in offensive play calling uh, to get to get those guys to the second level, whether that's just being more physical on the offensive line and clearing some guys off the ball. Uh, they have to do that because, you know, you can't make something out of nothing sometimes as a running back. You're going to need some help there. Uh, if you read Brandon Patterson's uh, video breakdown on our site, that, which was posted yesterday, he found it on film what, what ODU was keen on in the running game, and it was very obvious and very specific um, when they knew run was coming. And if – that's something he can see, then that's something they should be able to see and, and clean up between weeks one and two. So uh, hopefully you'll see improvements there. But uh, there, there were some things Tech was doing that made it e- very easy for ODU to defend, which makes the blocking look worse than it actually is. Well, you got a chance to talk to uh, two second-year guys and Benji Gosnell as well uh, as Monsoor Delane for Virginia Tech, two guys that are almost wise beyond their years in some ways, not only in their roles on the field as second-year guys, but also the maturity uh, at the podium as well. Questions were asked towards Gosnell multiple times. You know, how are you have such an outlook after not playing a lot of football and battling injury? Uh, and he said it's the guys around him. But what else did Gosnell have to offer as well as Mansoor? Well, it wasn't so much what Gosnell said. I just was kind of struck by how big he is. I mean, he's 6'5". Like, he's a pretty towering presence in there. Uh, so, you know, Gallo wasn't quite that tall. And uh, I'm trying to think of guys that they've had uh, – you know, tall was, was tight King ends. Listed at I mean, six five way Buck, back in the Bucky Hodges, yeah, obviously, he was a tight end, end. but uh-huh. he was wasn't really a tight end those last couple of years. I'll uh, contend that all the time. But uh, no, he's he's Gisnell's got really good size, uh, pretty good frame. Looks like he can add even more weight if he wanted to. So I, I was just kind of struck by how big he was for for somebody who's pretty young in his career. How about Bashel? He stopped by the podium as well. He's pretty quiet. Dude, this was the shortest one. His yeah. was. Uh, we got him after practice yesterday. Uh, I think he was pleased with how he ran, but not pleased with how the offense played and just kind of uh, eager to get more. And I, I think they were confident that they could show more than they did. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a very long interview with, with Bashel. Well, you also got to talk to, and this is, you know, last but not least here from a media standpoint, uh, Tyler Bowen. First time talking to Tebow uh, since the Old Dominion game. So, you know, any any takeaways from him? Yeah, I think his uh, general takeaway was what the fan basis was, not good enough. And that's what he came out and he said right away. And yeah, I think that's what a lot of people wanted to hear. Uh, they probably also wanted to hear what he's going to do to change it. He's not going to go into detail about uh, schematic changes or anything like that. But I think they understood that they need to run the ball better. 
And, you know, they showed positive signs in the passing game and playmakers making plays out there, something they didn't really have last year. Uh, but, you know, 3.1 yards a carry, I think it was. That's that's not going to cut it. And they might not, not even gotten to that. I can't remember what the math was on the exact uh, breakdown on yards per carry, but it was not good. 109 yards rushing. Uh, and if you do that against ODU, what are you going to do against a more physical defense like Purdue or better defenses that you face down the line, like Pitt, or Florida State, groups like that? Uh, you can't be this one-dimensional thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he realizes that. He knows the challenge in front of them. And at the same time, you know, they did some positive things. And, uh, you know, it's not too unrealistic to think if they finish off a couple of those drives, they could have scored 50 points. It's strange to think about it that way, but I mean, they, you know, they throw an incompletion at the two yard line. They have a fourth down that doesn't convert at the 13, I think it was. They take some knees at the very end and at the six yard line. I mean, the chances were there. A couple field goals that they settled for as well there. The chances were there to put up a lot more points than they had, which, you know, after last year, I think that's an encouraging sign. You know, we can talk about talent uh, on the offensive line all we want, and we can talk about experience all we want. But, you know, last year, the Old Dominion defense, they allowed 4.15 yards per carry, and that was against non-Power 5 teams. That was against group of five teams. I mean, you had lower-level Sunbelt teams running the ball against ODU last year a lot better than Virginia Tech ran it the other night, which I believe was 2.53 yards per carry. So uh, I, I think, you know, even without an influx of talent and even without greater experience, I think Virginia Tech physically is capable of doing better than, the, than they did the other night. And uh, hopefully it takes, uh, takes a step in the right direction this week. Also, also worth noting, we mentioned last podcast that Tech went six for nine in the red zone. Well, you have to remember one of those was kneeing it out. So it was almost more like six for eight. Uh, and then they went one for three on fourth down as well, just to kind of add a little bit to what Andy had to say. Uh, the Tech Sideline prod Podcast is also brought to you by Triumph NIL. Triumph NIL is a unique and experienced sports marketing agency specializing in building custom name, image, and likeness partnerships for student-athletes. They have built out an amazing content network featuring student-athletes and coaches. Visit triumphnil.com to learn more, subscribe, and support Hokies NIL. Let's get into our Purdue preview, shall we, gentlemen? Chris, last year Purdue finished 8-6 and six on the year and played in the Big Ten championship game representing the Big Ten West. Now in 2023, it's a completely different program with a new coaching staff as well. Yeah, um, new coaching staff. They had an NFL quarterback, an NFL wide receiver, and an NFL tight end that a lot of their success was built on. Uh, Jeff Brom is obviously off to Louisville as, as the head coach. Uh, Ryan Walters, 37 years old, new head coach, was the cornerback's coach uh, for a year at Memphis under Justin Fuente. He was kind of a, a Barry Odom disciple, so to speak, went with uh, Odom to Missouri, then became an offensive coordinator at Illinois, where he had an absolutely dominant defense last year. You don't necessarily think of Champaign, Illinois as, as, as the defensive uh, focus in college football, but uh, you know, last year it was with Walters as defensive coordinator, and uh, you know, he's coming to Purdue, they're running a 3-4 scheme, and it is a massive 3-4 three, 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 scheme, too. A lot of big guys up front, and we'll get into that later, but uh, it's just a lot of turnover. Like, when you lose almost all of your key players, I mean, they, they return like 10 or 11 starters, but their key guys, their main guys are gone, including the entire coaching staff so there was a lot of unknown about them heading into the season and and you know they lost in week one at home to fresno state in a game that like if you just look at the box score wasn't as close as the final score indicated they had a 98 yard kickoff return for a touchdown they had a good punt return that set up a 17 yard touchdown drive and then they had a, a like an 84 yard touchdown pass also so they hit like three big plays in the game it, it's one of those games you look at and there's However many uh, plays in a game, you take out three plays and it's like total domination by Fresno State. You can't take out those three plays, obviously. So Virginia Tech will have to be wary of, you know, the big play th this weekend. But, you know, it's a team that for the vast majority of that game looked kind of like you would expect them to look. A bunch of brand new players with a brand new coaching staff. Are you talking about the guys that they lost, the the quarterback tight end, uh, guys that opted out in the bowl game? Oh, yeah. They played LSU, and they just got destroyed oh, in yeah. that bowl game. Yeah. And I know Drew Brees was, like, coaching or something. I, I can't remember <laughs> if he ended up coaching. I know there's some controversy about whether he could do that or not. But uh, there was sort of like a taste of maybe – what was to come with this program is, you know, I, I know LSU was really good last year, but uh, they just 
got run off the field in yeah. that game. Yep. Alex O'Connell was the quarterback. He was a fourth-round pick, first-team All-Big Ten receiver. Charlie Jones, another fourth-round guy. And then the tight end, Payne Durham, was a fifth-round pick. So you had a pair of fourth-rounders and a fifth-rounder out of Purdue a year ago. Chris, you know, on paper, it's like, oh, you lost at home to Fresno State. But with that being said, Fresno State really seems to be more than meets the eye. And maybe it's not time to completely panic if you're the Boilermakers. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Tedford is the Fresno State head coach. And uh, I don't know if, if, you know, Tech fans may or may not be familiar with that name, but he coached a guy named Aaron Rodgers in a bowl game against Virginia Tech one time. Coming Uh, to the ACC network near you. (laughs) Exactly. We played, like, it's Cal Day. That game is going to be front and center on Cal Day. Aaron Rodgers, ACC legend. Yeah. Yeah, can't wait for that one. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Tedford's been... Been a good coach especially has a great understanding of the passing game and that's where they really lit up purdue uh last week he's a very very experienced offense good offensive mind so uh and fresno state has won a good number of games under him i think they've gone to three bowls in, in four years and he took cal to a bunch of bowls so that that's that was an established program uh with 100 filled with players that the head coach recruited and they were playing a, a team very much unestablished under a brand new head coach so the result was not a surprise let's go ahead and take a look at the offensive side of the football for purdue with a new coaching staff comes a new quarterback in west lafayette hudson card spent the first three years of his career at texas chris what does card bring to the table he's a guy who's interesting he's got a high completion percentage low turnover rate his turnover worthy plays percentage if you you know use it if you use the pff numbers very low for his career he doesn't throw it into coverage very often his big time throw rate all however is extremely low i think for his career it's 2.6 percent and as a comparison grant wells is 5.6 percent so you're talking about a guy who does not take risks he's a very much a take what the defense gives you type of quarterback um so the key in the passing game is just lock those receivers down and 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 force him to throw the ball in, in the coverage because throughout his career he has not been comfortable doing that. And I'll also point out that, gosh, I think the number was during his career he's only had 15 carries on designed runs, and he only averages 1.9 yards per carry for his career. So his coaches throughout the course of his career are not confident in his athleticism to the point where they're going to call design runs for him. And I know that I'm, sounds I, like you're guaranteed he goes I, for 80 yards on 12 Saturday. for 76 or something like that. Yeah. I know I'm talking to Virginia Hudson Tech card has never showed this ability before, <laughs> but he's scrambling for 80. I know. I know. I know exactly what I was saying before I said it and what the reaction is going to be, but that is the truth. You know, on paper, he is not a runner at all. So uh, this is on paper, a good matchup for Virginia Tech, but I would have thought so last week too. We'll just have to wait and see. So he's one of those guys who, you know, I think is a solid player, but he's not the playmaking type either with his arm or or his legs because he, j- he just doesn't take too many risks. Uh, like I said, take what the defense gives you. So uh, lock down in coverage and don't give him very much. How about the receiver room for the Boilermakers? Deion Burks jumped off the box score last week, but a large chunk of that was an 84-yard touchdown early on in the ballgame. Yeah, Burks is probably... I would say that they're their biggest threat on offense. And he's a guy who caught 15 passes last year. So this is not an offense that scares you at the wide receiver position. So you've got a group of wide receivers that don't scare you very much and a quarterback who's very much take what the defense gives. And I think that's a good matchup for Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's secondary seems pretty darn locked down. Uh, we knew coming in that the corners might be the best position group on the team. Do you like Tech's chances in pass coverage? I feel like oh, yeah, you've explained yeah, that already. I do. I'm going to like Tech's chances in pass coverage with the cornerbacks against almost every team they play this year. Uh, I think that's that's the major strength of the team, in, in my opinion. So that, that that's a matchup that favors Virginia Tech and in the vast majority of games they're going to play. I, I think it's a matchup that favors them. I think they were very untested mm-hmm. in that opener. And, and Brent Pry even said it. I don't think they were challenged. I don't think we were challenged very much b- back there, which was uh, close to what his quote was. I don't think it was the exact quote. Corners but, were targeted eight times. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and part of that was that ODU didn't have to get to that point very much because they were running the ball very well against Virginia Tech. So, uh I'm curious to see how those cornerbacks do in this game because I, I don't think, you know, they had the interception there at the end, but they were not targeted a lot. And, you know, Purdue, different level of play. 
I mean, they have a you know power five type players at their program, and uh, I think they have some guys that can make some plays. It'll be interesting to see how that those quarterbacks hold up this week. Very experienced offensive coordinator as well. Um, and I'm blanking on his name. Why am I blanking on his name? They're off Graham Harrell. Oh yeah, Graham Harrell. West he, was, he, was, he was West Virginia's offensive he's, coordinator last year. He's 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 been an offensive coordinator since I think 2015 or 2016. Uh, spent very, time at USC. Yeah, right? yeah. So like they'll have a guy there uh, as their as their play caller and, and schemer who knows what he's doing. Now whether he has the personnel to pull it off this week, we'll see. Well, similar to Virginia Tech, Purdue really struggled to run the football against Fresno State. Just 109 yards on 30 carries for the Boilermakers last week. Yeah, uh, and, you know, they've got a good running back. Uh, Devin McCoby, I guess is how you pronounce his last name. He was a Big Ten all-freshman team last year, had over 900 rushing yards despite starting just seven games. So he's a capable back, but their offensive line struggled, um, particularly on the interior. Uh, Their starting center was out. Their backup center, it's funny, on their depth chart, they list three centers and there's an or between all of them. So they have three co-starters, even though the, the last one did not actually play last week. So I would not, I would not even, I would not consider that or to be uh, legit. Um, I think last week they had Austin Johnson start at center. He's a transfer from Colorado. He's one of the ones that uh, primetime uh, weeded out of Colorado, and he was not good at all against Fresno State. This week they'll get Josh Kaltenberger back, who was projected to be their starter. At least they think they'll get him back. They think they'll get him back. Um, but he only has around 250 career snaps with three starts last year and played very mediocre football in those three starts. So they don't scare me at all in their interior line. And again, this is another matchup I feel like Virginia Tech's defense can win. Uh, the experience and the talent of Virginia Tech's defensive tackles, you know, I, I feel like that's a good matchup against this interior Purdue offensive line that, that struggled to block Fresno State last week. This sounds like their offense is kind of like Virginia Tech's in terms of struggled to get anything going on the ground, got most of their yards in the air mm-hmm. last week. And uh, a quarterback that sounds like he's capable of it, maybe not the strongest runner, but uh, I'm hearing you describe Purdue. And <laughs> it's it's almost like you're describing Virginia Tech. So you're saying we might have a low-scoring game on Saturday? Possibly. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, you know. Purdue put up 35 in the opener. Virginia Tech put up 36. Probably should have had more. Yeah. Uh, you know, perhaps not. And it, the, then the rain factors in, and who knows how that's going to exactly. Play. It does kind of jump off the page when you look at Maccabee's stats from a year ago because he did have 968 yards and nine touchdowns, and like you mentioned, just seven games a year ago, almost a thousand yard rusher led the team as a as a, a freshman. So. Something to look out for, but Chris is not worried. I'm a little surprised by that. I'm not saying I'm not worried. I just see a lot of matchup advantages when I look at personnel on Virginia Tech's defense and the personnel on uh, on Purdue's offense. Fair. Well, this week, Tech's defensive front goes up against now a power five-sized offensive line. We talked about last week how ODU was so undersized at that position. Uh, there's some returners and newcomers, like you mentioned, and you feel pretty good about Tech's defensive front. How about on the pass-rushing side of things, not just in the run game? Uh, they didn't allow any sacks last week, um, so I think their pass blocking on the whole was pretty good, but they don't overwhelm you with talent up front. They do have some experience. Uh, their tackles are their youngest, but I think their tackles are actually better than their their, their interior linemen. But, but again, it's not an offensive line that jumps off the page at you. Um, they struggled to get a push against Fresno State last week, and Fresno State is a program that's noted you know, a lot more for their offense under Tedford than they are for their defense. All right, let's go ahead to the defensive side of the football. As we've talked about all week, Virginia Tech struggled to run the football last week, 109 yards on the ground as a team against ODU. Looking at this Purdue defensive line, Chris, they're absolutely massive with some huge run-stopping bodies. Brent Pry talked about that. You had touched on that. You know, how can Tech find a way to establish the run with a front like this? This is a massive defensive front. It's a 3-4 scheme. Now, obviously, in modern football, there are times when one of those linebackers is going to come off for a nickelback, of course. But let's just say they're in their base defense, 3-4. Their two outside linebackers are 260 and 280. And then their three defensive linemen are 310, 335, and 300. So... This almost from a size standpoint, this is like facing an old school five-two defense or something like that. Uh, it's 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 going to be a much much bigger challenge than Old Dominion was last week. Uh, better players, 
um, bigger, stronger players, and Virginia Tech couldn't run the ball on ODU. So uh, lots of improvements uh, have to be made. Uh, Nick Scorton, I think is how you, I guess is how you pronounce his last name. He's their 280-pound outside linebacker. He had a great uh, pass rushing game last week with uh, with five pressures against Fresno State. He's a name to watch. But uh, you know, you know, the, and, the, and their experience too. You've got a grad student, redshirt junior, grad student, senior, senior. And then you've got a redshirt sophomore and a true sophomore. The most talented player of that group is Scorton, who is a true sophomore. Uh, but a lot of size, a lot of experience. Um, yeah, I think this is a game where you definitely have to get some more misdirection going. You do have to dial a few things up to the outside because I don't think it's realistic to after not being able to run the ball into the teeth of the ODU, ODU defense. I don't think you're going to be able to do that against Purdue, so you got to get a little more creative. Jet sweep? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Running jet sweep? I wouldn't hate it. The play works. It does work. Run the play. Where Fresno State really ended up cooking Purdue was through the air last week. They were lit up by the Bulldogs quarterback, Mike Keene, who was 31 of 44 for 366 yards with four touchdowns, and he did throw an interception. You know, I don't know that Tech's offense has proven to be quite prolific like that yet, but they're going to have to lean on their passing game on Saturday. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, you know, they've got some inconsistent. They've got a true freshman out there playing safety. Uh, Dylan Feynman, I guess is how you pronounce his last name. He was possibly their best player last week as a true freshman, but they had some other guys struggle. Uh, Cam Allen, who went to uh, Graham High School in Virginia, uh, he's a he's a fifth year player for them. He's been a very up and down player in his career, very inconsistent. Uh, has had some really good games and seasons, and has some has had some really bad ones too. He did not play well last week. Uh, maybe it's adjusting to a new scheme and a new coaching staff. I don't know, um, but they did not cover well last week. Uh, they showed weaknesses at, at safety and corner. And some of their linebackers as well. So, but that's against you know Tedford, and Tedford obviously has a history going back twenty years or more that he really knows what he's doing in the passing game. So, uh, uh, but but I do I do think uh, if Virginia Tech is is well prepared, they've definitely got the receivers and the, the quarterback that, that that can hurt Purdue. You just my main concern again is is what are they going to do in the running game against that big front. Let's go ahead and check in with David in the fourth chair. D. Connor, you got anything for us? Yeah, I've got it. We got a bunch of good questions this week. Um, since we're talking about the defense right now, um, let's talk about Chris Marr for a second. Um, obviously, that was his second ever game calling plays against Old Dominion. Um, MB Hokie ninety asked, "Not a lot of talk after the game about Marv in general. For that being his second time calling plays, how do you think he did?" Uh, I mean. I think it was fine. I mean, you'd like to see him defend the run better, but I also think they made a concerted effort to keep that one safety back against those uh, wide receivers that were spread wide. Tech did not go man man coverage across the board. Uh, they all they generally always had a safety deep, and you know that they were without a free hitter uh, or a lot of times in the run game. And I think that was by design because going into the game, I, I did not think Old Dominion would be able to drive the ball the length of the field consistently against Virginia Tech. I was more concerned about them spreading Tech out and hitting a big play in the passing game. One missed tackle, a guy takes it 80 yards to the house. And I think that's what Tech was concerned about, and that's why they played it the way they played it. Um, they didn't really – I don't think they really made an adjustment to that d- during the game, um, but I don't think they really had to either because I don't think they, they, they really felt like they were in serious danger of losing it. Um, I, I think – I think linebacker play can obviously get cleaned up, but I think playing a more traditional offense that doesn't spread you out quite as wide this week will uh, will help in, in that regard. Um, so yeah, I have no issues there. I think he was handicapped to a certain ex- to a certain extent by the fact that Strowman went out early and Strowman was playing very well against the run in his 19 snaps and, and the backup safeties were, were big issues in that game. Like neither one of them played well against the run. And uh, I think that hurt the defensive performance a little bit, but I have no issue with like, I understand why they played the alignment like they played it. And I think the alignment was, was, was a big issue for, uh, for why ODU had so much success. Yeah. I think 
I don't know if I had an issue with the scheme or the play calls they had. They just didn't execute a lot of that stuff. And in terms of making the right read or, you know, they're chasing the ball carrier and all of a sudden the quarterback pulls and he's running the other way, you know, that's not on the coordinator for how he called that game. So, uh, you know, Pry was pretty adamant that they were just misfitting a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that necessarily falls on the coordinator and how he called the game or the, the players for going out there and having to get in the right spots, get the right gaps and, and, and be in, in the correct position. So uh, I'm interested to see how much that group gets cleaned up from week one to week two, because that is that is Marv's group, those linebackers. And they were the biggest issue in that first yeah, game. I think you could perhaps criticize more of the linebacker coach, but not more of the coordinator yeah. for that game. Yeah, well, you, you asked you mentioned the run fits and I want to talk about that real quick. Brent, Brent seemed like Brent Pry was, he said something along the lines of, we will get that fixed. Um, Seabake1230 asked, is that something that can really be fixed from one week to the next? What makes a coach less concerned about run fit issues and how do they fix it? Like what specifically goes into that? I think for some of these guys, you know, they just don't have a ton of experience. Like like Jaden Keller, that was, he played some last year as a wheel. That was his first game of his career as a Mike. Alan Tisdale has played a lot in his career, been a former starter for Virginia Tech, but that was a as a wheel, and before that, a backer. He had never played the mic position until the other night. Um, so I, I think Will, Will Johnson, um, you know, he was probably the most consistent linebacker of, of the group. Um, that was only his second game playing defense at, at Virginia Tech. So I, I think sometimes when guys are so young or they're playing a different position, after that first game, you can point out things to them on film and, and use that as a teaching point. And it's a different kind of teaching point that they're used to. And, uh, you know, coaches always make the generic comment, you, you can make your most improvements between uh, week one and week two. Sometimes that's true, sometimes it's not. But I, I think it's true to a certain extent when you have a number of young players and some of those are even experienced players, but they're playing in a different position. So, And I, plus, I think I just think that was such a unique offense with the wide splits. And you, talk, you hear talk about like cornerbacks being on an island. Uh, Tech didn't really leave their corners on an island last week. They kind of left their linebackers on an island more so than anything else. And they, they didn't handle that well. The linebackers didn't. Um, but I, I, also, I think from a schematic standpoint, uh, they're not going to be challenged as much this week. So uh, hopefully you, you see the performance levels go up. Yeah, Kelly Lawson, not exactly a world of experience at, right. at Will Linebacker. I think you look at the mic and uh, you look at the history of the mic here and they always have sort of had that understudy, sort of learning it ready to take over the next year. Uh, they sort of have it planned that that guy's going to take over the next year, whether it's going from, uh, you know, Matua Pawaka to Rayshard Ashby to Dax Hollyfield. Like, there's just like a succession there. And this year, it seemed kind of brand new for Keller. And he's, they sort of, I don't want to say stumbled into it in the spring, but, you know, Pry has said, like, oh, kind of surprised that he took to the mic so well and that position was the one that started to make sense for him. So I think there's just a newness to that position that, uh, you know, the more reps he gets, the more football he sees, the better they'll be keyed in to, to what they where they need to fit in the right places they and, need to be. And all those mics, it doesn't come natural to them. They were high school safeties. Even Tisdale was a high school safety. And now you're talking about playing middle linebacker like Brian Ulricker did that. But like that's a once every 30 or 40 year or lacquer or lacquer. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Yeah. Um, so it's just a situation where. You're going to have to give that time because the, none, none of those guys is like a natural mic. It's going to have to be – knowledge is going to have to be acquired. It's, it's not something where you recruit – I would prefer – I'd love to – I think that's the only thing really missing in tech recruiting right now. They're not recruiting like a natural inside middle linebacker, and I'd like to see them sign someone like that. A lot of the talk was about – has been about Keller and Lawson. What, how did you feel – Keonth Jenkins and, and even Caleb Woodson were at, at star. They did not play uh, the, uh, what was that, the Sam, the, the star, the star position very much this game just to, because of how wide ODU spreads you. They went with a lot of nickel. Like, like Derek Canteen was in there for 45 or 50 snaps. Yeah, he played a lot. Yeah, yeah. he played a lot. Um, so Jenkins did not grade well near, near the Woodson. Woodson had just seven snaps, and I think – uh, Jenkins had less than fewer than 20, uh, if I remember correctly. Neither one of them graded out well, uh, but at the same time, like they were out there for such a limited amount of snaps. And uh, 
I, I, Keonta Jenkins had a good season for Texas. Keonta Jenkins had 15 snaps. 15, so, so just 22 snaps he, total for that position. His PFF grade was 55.9, though his tackling grade was a 73. Right, right. Um, so he wasn't out there enough to like really, truly judge him. But but he played what he, he was one of Tech's most consistent players last year. So I, I don't worry about him. Um, you'll see him more on the field probably. Uh, from now on, once you get once you play some some offenses that don't, I mean, just the way ODU lines up their receivers, they're split out almost standing on the sideline, and and that, that just makes it makes they're a unique challenge, uh, unique scheme, and you won't see that as much throughout the rest of the season. Jenkins had that nice tackle on the far sideline where their tailback Wicks took it, kind of an open field tackle. He cut him yes, down. That was yes. a sharp looking tackle in fifteen snaps to do something like that. Not bad. How about Eric Brooks for Fresno State? Went nine catches, 170 yards, a pair of touchdowns out of the slot. Could Jalen Lane have that kind of impact on Saturday? 5'7", 170 pounds, uh, having that kind of a game. And he's a guy that had never had a 100-yard. He's a senior. He's never had a 100-yard receiving game before. Never caught more than 37 passes in a season. So th- then he comes out and goes, what was it, nine for 170 and two touchdowns Yeah, uh, out of nowhere. So I think that does point to some vo- uh, vulnerabilities in the in the secondary there, there for Pitt. So, yeah, Jalen Lane is certainly a guy I would have my eye on if the slot receiver – and Jalen played all his snaps in the slot last week. Middle Tennessee, he played almost all of them on the outside, but last week he was uh, pretty much exclusively in the slot. So he's he's probably the guy offensively. If you want to talk about like one, one receiver to keep an eye on this week, he'd probably be it. How about the special teams last week as we kind of flip that script into Purdue's side of things? Not like UVA where they have a 34-year-old kicker, but <laughs> they were dangerous in their return game. They were, and it kept them in the game. Uh, 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. I think they had a 27-yard punt return to set up a 17-yard touchdown drive. Uh, and those are game-changing plays. Like, if Fresno State had lost that game, it would have been because of special teams. Um, and I, so that's that's very important. Now, Tech was very good in coverage against Old Dominion last week. I think I don't think ODU actually returned a punt, and then they only averaged 16 yards per kickoff return. And the Hokies were great in punt coverage last last season as well. Uh, so it's going to be a much greater challenge for Purdue this week. I mean, obviously, uh, it, you know, you're playing a Power Five team and everything like that. But at the same time, if you're Virginia Tech, you look at Purdue and you're like, they just don't look like they have the offensive personnel to put up a ton of points. Like, so if you can. Make sure they don't hit a big play on special teams. You feel like you've got a good chance to win the game. Something that looked a little bit promising last week, I think every one but maybe one or two kickoffs by Kyle Lowe went out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. Yeah, you like that? it was two. Yeah, and uh, it was two. And it was interesting seeing uh, some of Tech's personnel on special teams. Uh, uh, I put the numbers in, in an Inside the Numbers article yesterday, but – Early indication is they're 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 giving more starters more snaps on special teams this year than they did a year ago. So when you see, when you see Kelly Lawson out there on the field on the kickoff team, and Nasir Peoples actually led the team in special team snaps, uh, I, I think Virginia Tech is really making it a focus this year to win that hidden yardage game. All would right. you prefer they just kick it out of the end zone every time? I would. Could? I would. I think yeah. Yeah. I, I'm of that mindset. Like give it to him at the 25. Yeah. Don't, it, don't try to get cute to like corner kick it and then yeah. like, and then as soon as they bust one you're going to kick yourself. Right. You'd have to really 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 trust your your kickoff team. And it kind of depends on who you're playing maybe. If you feel like you have the major talent edge, you can do that. But uh but if you can kick it out of the end zone, just kick it out of the end zone. I'd, my dad always said growing up, he's like, they should get a point for that when if the kick if the kickoff guy can put it through the uprights. It's like Man, they should get a Joe, point. For Joey that. Sly would have been a huge weapon if that I was know. the case. He maybe maybe that the uh, maybe the next game that goes to nine overtimes. And, and, and they can't even score two-point conversions. Kickoff they can have a kickoff competition to see who wins. <laughs> All right, fellas, let's go ahead and just talk some final <laughs> thoughts. Big picture, big Saturday going on, noon kickoff, games on ESPN2, which is kind of a cool spot for the Hokies to be at. Um, your final thoughts going into Saturday, Chris. So Tech has won two football games in a row. Dating back to last year, you know, you know the quite Lou, the streak. Quite, wow. you know, you know, you know the Lou Brown speech from Major League. It might have been Major League Two. I don't remember, but he's like, "We won a game. We win again tomorrow. That's two in a row. We win again the next day. That's a winning streak. They have happened before." <laughs> right, so I think winning this game 
it, it would be very positive for the psyche of not only the, the fan base, but the players. I, I want those guys to start to believe and, and believing belief in yourself, confidence in yourself is, is, uh, is very important in this game. And I know every player in the history of football, when they're interviewed, says, says they're confident. But that's certainly not always. But nobody's going to get in front of a microphone and say, yeah, we're not very confident this week that we're going to win. Uh, winning builds confidence. Uh, you go out there and win your second game in a row this season and third and third game in a row overall, and you're going to have some belief built up. And, and I, I think that's important uh, as, as we get deeper into the season. You don't want to, you don't want to get to the point where, you're questioning yourself or you're questioning your coaching staff. So a second win in a row, especially in front of a home crowd, would be big before the Hokies start to go out on the road. Yeah, I think Tech's in a good spot because, you know, Purdue's not this overwhelming opponent coming in. Uh, you know, maybe you would have felt better if they would have beaten Fresno instead of losing because, you know, you're going to get an extra motivated team that doesn't want to start 0-2 here. But, uh, you know, the Hokies, they won the first one. They won it by a comfortable margin, but they didn't play their greatest. And there were areas that they could improve. And, you know, I, I'm sure Brent Pry is very, like, thrilled with the fact that they won the game, but there were also plenty of teaching moments from that. These guys aren't going to get, you know, big heads based on a 19-point win against ODU where they probably should have won by, you know, 30, whatever the score should have been. So uh, I like the spot for the Hokies. You know, sometimes you see them come out in a noon game and sort of a sleepy start and stuff like that. I, I don't know that you'll see that necessarily because I think they have a lot that they could build on from the opener and uh, should be pretty motivated to, to shore up those spots. This year, 3304 Sports is attacking the 2023 football season with a brand new goal. Our mission is to cover all 12 Virginia Tech football games and an eventual bowl game to close out this season, but we need your help. Please consider donating to our GoFundMe page where your contributions will go towards covering travel costs for our student journalists this football season. From hotels and transportation, every little bit helps. Head over to techsideline.com or check out the link in the description to donate today. Let's check in with David one more time in the fourth chair. David, your final thoughts heading into Saturday. Yeah, well, I've got two questions. Um, one is a big picture one, but we'll start with the quarterback one. Um, uh, how do you think Grant Wells and Tyler Bowen have have handled all of the adversity? And do you get a sense that it's forced a better bond between them that might actually uh, be yielding positive results on the field. That was long lost Hokey who asked that. Um, and for context, he mentioned how Bowen and Wells weren't on the same wavelength last year. It seemed like at least in that first game against old dominion, that they were on the same wavelength and, and the communication was pretty good. I know Wells wasn't perfect on those first couple drives, but once he settled into the game, it seemed like everything was fine. Yeah. Uh, I think when you share the same meeting room every day, obviously there's going to be better communication just because you're, you know, at every point Grant Wells is over there in, in the practice building, he's talking to, to Tyler Bowen, the offensive coordinator. And I, and I know there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, but I've always preferred the offensive coordinator to be the quarterback's coach because I think it's it's very important for that offensive coordinator to know exactly what he's got in his quarterbacks. and. And that's a little bit harder to do when half the practice you're over here coaching your tight ends and, and the quarterbacks are over somewhere else, you know, be, being coached. Uh, so I think it's beneficial f from that standpoint. Um, but it, sh it should also give Bowen a better understanding of what he's got with, with Kyron Drones. So they should know how to handle that situation simply because he gets so much one-on-one -on -one time with those guys on a daily basis. Yeah, I think being in the same room is a huge deal. And you look back and you go, the tight ends coach coaching <laughs> the offense? Like, that's sort of strange. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, you look at last year, Bowen said he started going in that room more often later in the season. I think you saw Wells play a little bit better uh, down the stretch there, certainly better than he did in, in the, the opening month or that opening game that he had. So uh, familiarity with each other. Surprise. It, it works. It helps uh, guys get closer and perhaps work better together. Also helps when uh, your receivers can actually get open. Also true, it, yes. Yeah. Um, Nova Hokie 95 asked, if Virginia Tech fans are celebrating a win on Saturday afternoon, what most likely went right? If Tech fans are bemoaning a loss, what went wrong? <sighs> Things went right. Like they, they didn't allow the special teams big plays like you saw Purdue uh, pick up last week against, against Fresno State. And – 
probably won the turnover battle or at least didn't lose it. And if they end up losing, then it's probably going to be because they got absolutely shut down in the running game. And as the talent level of the opponent increased, the passing game wasn't quite good enough to be dominant to get them over the hump. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, they're going to have to continue to make plays in the passing game. Because I don't think this is going to be a game they go out there and rush for 200 yards. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, they fix the ground game, and that's the strength of the offense. Like, I don't think that's that's the answer. They're going to have to move the ball in the air, and, you know, we'll see if they can do it against a step-up in competition. Yeah, I, I, I'm i on the same wavelength, same wavelength as you guys. I think it's going to be kind of a, a stalemate, if you will. Mm. Um Neither team's going to be able to run the ball, so it's just going to be who who can throw it. And we saw Virginia Tech's defense, albeit very limited targets, hold up pretty well last week against Old Dominion. I think this is a pretty good DB, you know, defensive back core Virginia Tech has. I'm interested to kind of see when the ball is coming their way almost every single play, how they hold up instead of the occasional target. Um, but I think it's going to be a close game. I think Purdue, not a bad team, but like Andy said, in a similar spot to, to Virginia Tech. And um, I'm interested to see how Grant Wells comes out and um, and how this offensive line front does against this, like you said, Chris, big, gigantic group of defensive linemen uh, Purdue has. I'm interested in seeing how much they play drones. They say, well, they want to play him more. But just studying this game would not seem like the best week to increase his snaps because you need to throw the football to beat Purdue. You, if, you, if, the, if you do what you did last week with Kyron Jones, you're just going to be running him into 280, 260, 300, 335, 310. I mean, just a massive defensive front. And it didn't work against ODU, so how, in theory, how could it work this week? you're going to have to loosen up the defense. And the fewer snaps Grant Wells is on the field, the, the chances drop that you're, going to, that you're going to have success in the passing game. So I think there are certain weeks where you can say, yeah, we might want to play drones a few more snaps, but on paper this doesn't seem like that would be one of them. So I know they made the comment that they want to play him more. I want to wait. I want to see what happens this weekend because I'm not entirely convinced that they're actually going to do that. Before we go, fellas, what's coming up this week on TechSideline.com? Everything that's normally in a game week. Like, okay. Uh, once we get into the season, nothing changes. It's, uh, you know, we'll have a Brandon Patterson video article, uh, Friday Q&A. Are you doing a mailbag? Mailbag today, game coverage Saturday, five thoughts the day after. So yep. we're, we're in the groove now. Yeah. We're in exactly. the beautiful. Yep. You're just, we're waking up like robots and doing the same thing every day. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that wraps things up on episode 308 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Virginia Tech and Purdue, noon kickoff on ESPN2 inside Lane Stadium. For Will Stewart, David Cunningham, Andy Bitter, Chris Coleman, I'm Giovanni Heater. Saying so long, Robert Bateman, back there as well. I'm Giovanni Heater, saying so long, and we'll see you next time on the Tech Sideline Podcast.